Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to a more perfect union. I'm Nick Remesong. Joining us this week uh, from our radio roundtable of regulars is Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, higher education consultant. We also have our Beacon Hill representative, Jeff Roy, as always, our manager, Peter Jay. Hey, good morning. We have, we have a special guest joining us, Emerson Klaus, who will be uh, assisting us on this second half of the show. Yay, Emerson's uh, back. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we really enjoyed having him on before the last time. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, going to help us up our game today, right, Nick? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> We're going to be continuing our discussion uh, with regard to apprenticeships, uh, registered apprenticeships, internships, and ways to really help young people or those returning to the workforce or those retraining to get the experience they need without going into life-threatening debt, life-crippling debt, debt. <laughs> Uh, so we have, want to kick it off with Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, if you could introduce Emerson to us. Oh, it, Emerson is a man who needs no introduction. He is the previous uh, president of the Massachusetts Home Improvement Association. I think I said that right. And he is now on their, uh, he's the past president and on their board of directors. Uh, he also, uh, with total transparency, happens to be a friend of mine. Uh, and he and I did some work together on my house. Actually, he did the work. He and his crew did the work on my house. Um, and I'm living the dream now as a result of that and stuff with a wonderful renovation of my kitchen and the house. Uh, my wife and I decided to do something very strange. When our children left, we decided to build out more which is interesting it's, in Franklin. But anyway, Emerson, isn't it, uh, <laughs> Michael? <laughs> well, well, Emerson didn't complain. And so yeah. since he didn't complain, we just went ahead and did it now. Yeah. Uh, heck, uh, but Emerson was recently on a commission and maybe you can tell us about that. Well, good morning and thank you for inviting me. And in, uh, Michael, as always, you pumped me up too much. So, but I appreciate that. So, yes, I just um, completed my service. Uh, Actually, I think officially the 15th of this month is the official disband date um, for the Clean Heat Commission. Um, I was named by Governor Baker with 21 others and uh, to work on our um, goals for um, carbon reduction and plans to get buildings in compliance and updated and new construction uh, meeting certain new codes so we can reduce our carbon emissions. Uh, it was an interesting Foray. I was glad to be there because part of what we'll be talking about today, uh, labor force, I was able to keep um, uh, workforce development and um, uh, at the forefront and um, in, in a lot of the areas because 
everything that we spoke about in other avenues relied on somebody doing something, whether it was a HERS raider or a, an inspector or enforcement officer. And, and, and I said, these people aren't here yet. Uh, the technicians that'll do all of the clean heat work with heat pumps and are, you know, there's some out there, but is there enough to go all with clean heat and all electric? And and so workforce development was a large topic of conversation over the last 11 months. And I was glad to be there keeping that, that you know, poker in the fire. So it was an interesting experience. By the way, Michael, I was corrected after I spoke to you the other day, I called our executive officer, Joe Landers, and he reminded me that my tenure was actually through December 31st. So I'm, I guess I'm still technically the president of the Home Builders and Remodelers in Massachusetts, which is a good, oh, well, good. Which is a good thing. Well, good, good. It seems to me that, uh, you know, one of the roles of government, and our friend Jeff can, uh, can help us with this, one of the roles of government is to look out for the future. Even though we don't see much of that coming out of Washington, we see a lot of that coming out of Beacon Hill. Uh, so Emerson, maybe you can tell us about some of the first, some of the requirements for uh, clean energy and homes, and then let's get into some of the specifics around what are some of the possibilities around workforce development. Because I know some of the things that you guys did uh, was to look at what well, are the building codes now? Uh, how can you update them to make sure that builders are put on notice that yes, we want things done a little bit differently now and a lot differently in the future. Well, um, you know, that became an interesting topic because there were several on the commissioners that kept wanting to delve into the, the code, the, the minutia of the code uh, side of this, um, which isn't wasn't our task. Um, there is uh, already a whole process in the state for that. And they are well aware of what we were working for and the goals we were moving towards, which is a eventually a net zero um, energy code. But you know, even when you use the term net zero, if you Google it now, there isn't a real definition. So that was part of our work is to start shaping that definition so we know what we we're talking about. So the codes, you know, are one side of it. You know, our goal is to get you know people to uh, dispense with fossil fuels, get away from oil, natural gas, propane um, on an eventual basis. We also had, you know, vibrant discussion about the grid and, and can it really handle it? And there's a lot of um, infrastructure improvements that need to be in place before we force all these houses, uh, new houses or renovated uh, buildings and houses to uh, go all electric. Because I mean, you've probably seen uh, uh, the newspaper three weeks ago, I think it was the city of Groton, already telling people they were going to have rolling blackouts through the winter if we had very big cold spells. Um, so, you know, we obviously want to have things in place to go towards um, reducing fossil fuel reliance and, and moving forward, but we want to do it in a realistic mode with a time frame and, and some goals that can actually happen, not pie in the sky stuff. Because right now, from what we had for our 2030 goals, Massachusetts is way behind. I think that we'll, we'll be able to catch up. The other aspect of it was is how to help people pay for this stuff. You know, we're looking at low income and moderate income folks and, and um, the economic disparities because, quite frankly, this technology and this equipment to go to heat pumps and all this change and whatever is expensive stuff. So whether you're a homeowner or a renter, those costs are going to be passed on somehow. And so one of the big parts of our discussions over the last 11 months was to make sure that we had a uh, a revamped mass save or get rid of mass save with a whole new structure in its place 
that will address these things and make money available. Because one of the other things that came to light, um, I had one of my um, regional suppliers um, clue me in that one of the issues was with like the rebate program. If, if the vendor, the HVAC vendor was the guy taking the rebates and passing that savings along to the client, if you had 30 jobs in, in a month and it took 90 days to get those 30 jobs paid for, now he was so far behind in cash flow, they walked away from the work. And so, you know, we got it. We got to always say, you know, what's the unintended consequences here? And if Mass Save takes that kind of time frame to turn money around, there's going to be no takers um, on the on the on the install side. You know, so and and I think that's that would be a better thing to fix. That way, we go to the homeowner instead with a thirty thousand dollar bill. Listen, we've got you know eighteen thousand in offsets. Here's what it. It's really going to cost you, but that guy has to get those offsets in hand. He can't run his business 90 days in arrears, not going to happen. So we had a lot of, I mean, you can imagine the amount of different things that the 22 of us brought to the table to, to arm wrestle over this stuff and come to some conclusions. It was, a, I, I think, an extraordinary amount of work, but I think the, the work product is is pretty good. And I think it's a, it's a good roadmap um, to be followed. There are things that the new administration uh, hopefully takes up and 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 runs with. Um, there are definitely some deadlines that they have, some latitude to set um, with the DOER um, moving forward. So we didn't put everything concrete in stone, although we there was a lot of talk about should we, could we, or how do we. And uh, um, but again, we had almost you know 21 of the 22 uh, commissioners on board with the final report, which I think is extraordinary. Hey Emerson, I, I want to. Uh, begin by applauding you and thanking you for your service on that commission, uh, something vitally important for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And, and Michael, you had touched upon what's the role of government here. And uh, let me begin by saying we have a climate crisis on our hands. We've had a climate crisis on our hands for decades but getting people to talk about it and uh, do things about it and take positions on it uh, has been a very difficult task. And I would say it's only been in the most recent decade that people are beginning to understand that climate change is real and that uh, we are running out of time to do something about it. And uh, I'll remind uh, our, our listeners that uh, the legislature passed two major pieces of climate legislation uh, in this current session. It began with the roadmap bill in March of 2021, where we set about goals for how Massachusetts was going to achieve net zero by 2050. And we set benchmarks for every five years leading up to 2050. Uh, that's 28 years. Uh, some have suggested that uh, we're rushing this process. And uh, I say 28 years is a very long time. And for us to uh, set goals over the course of the next three decades, I can't agree with you that we are rushing this. In fact, uh, we should be moving much faster. But we understand uh, the, the predicament that we're in. So we established some goals. We established some, some greater efficiencies that can be achieved. And we uh, asked the administration to develop for us an opt-in stretch energy uh, code, a new building code that would define, first of all, what a net zero building is 
and give uh, builders uh, a road or a pathway towards uh, building uh, net zero buildings. So that was all part of the 2021 legislation. Then we come to 2022. Okay, we've got these goals in mind. How are we going to achieve these goals? And uh, that bill was about providing uh, another source of robust energy. We focused a lot on offshore wind, uh, but solar plays an important part of this. Hydro from uh, Canada plays a role in this. Uh, right now, uh, we are 60 to 65% reliant on natural gas, which is an imported uh, source of energy into the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So we needed to identify something that was within our borders that could help us achieve energy of independence, help us achieve a robust supply of energy for all of the electrification we're going to do. And we had to keep it at a price point that uh, did not knock people's socks off uh, with, with regard to how much it was going to cost uh, to heat and cool and electrify their homes. And uh, in the middle of this process, uh, Emerson's uh, Clean Heat Commission uh, was doing some additional work to give us additional guidance as to what the government can do to speed up this process and to do it in an orderly manner. And uh, uh, I'm grateful for the work uh, that the uh, that the commission did. Um, and you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, the the comment that Massachusetts is far behind is very true. Uh, we've got a lot of catching up to do, but. In the midst of that, we are second in the nation in terms of energy efficiency. So if Massachusetts is far behind, think of how all of the, the other 48 states are doing. California and Massachusetts are leading the nation on these efforts. And I also implore people to re remember that uh, climate change and climate effects do not stop at the borders of any particular state. Uh, you know, what's happening in other states and in other countries is having a deep impact on us. On us. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing what we're doing, but we need to uh, lead and encourage uh, states uh, that surround us uh, so that we can uh, accomplish the goals and achieve uh, net zero by 2050. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I I want to mention one thing that I was a little disappointed that the commission didn't put a little more teeth into was the regulation of HVAC and solar contractors. Um, there yeah. is um, a, a little reference to it, um, but I will tell you that neither one, uh, unless the HVAC does she actual sheet metal, are a licensed or regulated business. And uh, and I will tell you, there are some horror stories out there. And the funny part was um, at one of our uh, Zoom meetings from my newly renovated house um, that I tuned in with the commission, my solar guys were on my roof at 7.30 a.m. doing their thing. Um, it's been almost five months. And to get them on the same page with the power company has been a monumental task. It has been ridiculous. Um, and it, it that's something that I certainly hope that when the OER and some of the other agencies read the Clean Heat Commission, they find that paragraph about licensing and some control and, and give the consumers a way to get this fixed. Because I now finally, um, after I can't tell you how many phone calls, emails, and chasing both parties, and maybe going to have my solar actually activated it's been ready for four months and I'm not the worst nightmare. Um, so that's one one little aspect of it. 
Um, tell me about what page or section that is in the report, and I'm going to go to it as soon as we're done with the show <laughs> I, and I, get hopping on it. I'll shoot you an email because I, I honestly, it was, I kept saying, listen, you know, you got, you got construction people licensed, you got electricians licensed, you got plumbers, you got, and the HVAC guys are out there now. And I did say, we got to grandfather companies in. We can't hamstring them, make them stop and go out and get like, obviously there's guys out there that have been doing it, doing it well for a long time. We, it should be a simple process for them. But the solar folks, I mean, you talk to any any producer of a, a radio show and Jeff, you you know, you've been interviewed by them. They'll tell you that 50% of their consumer complaints are over solar. Um, oh, goodness. I have, a, yeah, I have a commercial West. client. I have a commercial client that it almost took him three years after $89,000 investment on his roof of his office, almost three years to get it to where it was interconnected. And he had a financial benefit of the power that was went free to the grid for three years. And part of it was um, the provider and part of it was the solar installer uh, and a knucklehead until I got somebody out there and he swapped guys and got it squared away with National Grid. It got taken care of, but three years that he had 90 grand sitting on his roof with no benefit and no benefit to the environment, quite frankly, mm -hmm. other than somebody getting free power somewhere. Um, so yeah. I think that from a consumer standpoint has to get fixed. Talking with uh, one of the other commissioners, um, you know, they were, we, we were talking about um, storage, battery storage, because mm -hmm. in, in, in hours that solar is creating um, all this power, if there isn't demand, we have a storage problem now. Um, which is, I, I, you know, and, and again, coming out of the building sector, I know how to build houses. This, this whole energy side and how we actually get power in the wires to our house was really an eye opener. And I don't think most of the general public has a clue how many people are between them and their light switch um, from generation <laughs> on up. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing, which brings me to one other thing that we were, I think all 22 people were on board with was consumer education. A lot of what we put forth in this report, we want a lot of money spent on a clearinghouse that people, we can we can have information available to consumers to, to go to and find out how heat pumps work and how to get answers on stuff. And, you know, maybe even referrals to consultants if they need them and HERS raiders and the whole nine yards, because the reality with clean heat and, and building upgrades, unless you're that guy ready to have a builder build a new house or you're ready to remodel or you're a building owner at the end of the lifespan of their heating systems, you're not paying attention to this stuff. And that creates one of the problems we have. Um, and as Jeff mentioned, we're, we're, we're way ahead of everybody, but we're three decades behind. And, and so, you know, we've got to make sure people know this is going on, that their stakeholders, whether they're doing work right now or not, um, because the the reality is, one of the other things that confuses us, if, if you're in an existing home and your furnace dies today, you're going to replace it with what you can that will match up to what you have now for the best price and get it done right away. And But that thing may last 30 years. So do we miss our 2030 uh, goal because, you know, John Jones just put in a new oil burning furnace? And I will tell you, I have a client I'm starting a house for in Uxbridge. If I can wheedle permits out of the town there, and Jeff, that's something else I'll, I'll talk to you down the road. <laughs> um, but um, that that he actually asked for an oil burning furnace, and it took me two meetings with with him and his his partner to say, "You do not want oil heat. We can't do this." And we're at propane now, forced air propane, and I'm still trying to say. Here's what I can get you through mass save to go all electric. Can we think about this? He goes, well, you didn't do it in your house. I said, I made that decision two and a half years ago. I would probably do all electric. 
electric today with them, my house. Um, so, but he originally wanted oil. So here's a, here's a consumer. Uh, um, he's probably in his uh, late thirties, early forties, a smart guy, very successful, but was ready to go with oil heat. Why? That's what mom and dad's house had, grandma's house had. Um, and so there we are. So the education. You know something? Part, uh, I had that uh, exact conversation with my brother-in-law who also happens to live in Uxbridge. I said, please do not put an oil fired burner back into that house. It's it's not going to do you any good, um, but yeah, I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't prevail. Well, <laughs> if, if I could also add to that, too, because I think your idea of some kind of consumer education is excellent. However, you know, we've really got to be careful. Uh, and I'll give you a personal example. I am thoroughly, totally confused over the the amount of support and the number and the variance of electric uh, suppliers in the state of Massachusetts. And I know the legislature has tried to make it so that the consumer has a choice of getting the most economical product you can in terms of electricity. But I got to tell you, it is a nightmare to try to sort through that. Plus, with all of the scam calls that I get around both solar and electric as a person who really does not take the time. And I fit right into that category of a person who, if it ain't broke, why fix it? And why pay attention to it? It ain't broke. So my electrical stuff is all working. You know, my, uh, uh, uh my hot tub works and it's electric. Uh, you, live and, a, you live a life of luxury over there. Uh, a good. Well, he had a, he had a good builder. <laughs> uh, yeah, I must admit that you know it is it's important for us to make sure that the consumer not only has access to the resources that he or she needs in order to be able to make an informed decision, but that we also have a uh, an education process that goes through helping us to better understand not only where we are right now in terms of what my home does and where we need to go. You know, uh, Michael, you you raised some great points and I and I want to share with both you and and Emerson and and the listeners that uh, an education component will likely be part of the next uh, climate bill that comes out of our committee. Uh, we came close to including it in the bill in the last session, but we had just so much that uh, bandwidth that we could do. But that is such an important piece, and, and we will move in that direction. In terms of uh, the piece about how getting all these calls from uh, electric suppliers, uh, I can tell you that was a big point of discussion uh, in the climate bill that we did in 2022, uh, and it's called competitive supply is the uh, area that that falls under. And the attorney general, uh, who's the governor-elect, uh, had done a comprehensive report on the competitive supply industry and was advocating for us to completely eliminate that industry in Massachusetts. Uh, and I can tell you that um, I was not prepared to go that far in terms of eliminating the industry to the extent that there are bad actors in that space. My thought was we should ramp up our enforcement efforts, uh, open it up to private litigation, give lawyers incentive, uh, incentives, financial incentives for taking on these bad actors, and let's uh, put some insurance and bonding requirements on these companies 
so that they don't come in and fleece people and then mm -hmm. go out of business. Uh, so we'll be looking at that type of legislation to uh, regulate and control the competitive supply industry. And uh, until we do that, Michael, I'm going to suggest you stop answering your phone. Let them leave a message and you decide who you want to talk to. Uh, that's my interim solution. Well, thank you very much for, uh, you know, what I've ascertained is probably the best course of action. But then that also brings me to the uh, uh, sort of the next venture, which is, okay, so we've got we've got an opportunity here as well for some training and education. Uh, and let's talk for a minute about the opportunity that's here to help develop a whole new generation that looks at not only home building, but energy as something to be creative in this particular venture. Uh, you mentioned Emerson, the HVAC folks. Well, what about the new energy uh, gurus who haven't even been trained yet? Uh, you know, the folks who come in and sit right beside you as you're looking at both home improvement um, as well as home building who understand this, uh, understand energy and energy efficiency, as well as the future of where we need to go. And, and I think many of those kids are probably in middle school right now. Yeah, that, well, so it's it's interesting that you touch on that because every time, you know, we had any discussion with the commission, it always seemed to revolve back around very labor intensive stuff with people that actually know what they're looking at. And from a builder standpoint, and most building commissioners will tell you with rare exception, not a lot of them or their inspectors have deep depth of knowledge in HVAC. So when I do a, a, a commercial building or a house or whatever, it's rare that they come in and really go through and, and see. They, they, you know, I mean, you can see that the ductwork is insulated, right? You can see this, you see that. But they're really looking at the HERS rate or in the energy report going, okay, I'm hoping it's done right. And they look at stuff they know. Um, so it's not looked at super well. And we're also looking to expand those those duties with on the enforcement side to these folks and they're understaffed already um and and you know and that's that's something that <clears throat> i spoke about um pretty clearly with the with the commissioner saying listen you know and building departments i know i know right there in your hometown of franklin michael they, they will tell you they take in an awful lot of money like many towns do through the building department it goes into general front and then only a portion of it is doled back out for them to staff what they have to do. And now with clean heat stuff, we're going to be asking them to do absolutely more with really more specialized people. And so we've got to we've got to do we've got to fill that training need. And you're right, those that maybe the next group might be in junior high or high school, but we've got to definitely get kids excited and interested. And and I will tell you from the Builders Association, especially our our Boston chapter, um, has gotten into several schools. We spoke about that in the past. And it's really interesting to see kids and their parents and uh, teachers and uh, guidance counselors get excited when we get in front of them and have an open discussion. Uh, we purposely bring members to represent these things that look much younger than me. So um, uh, my son was one of our panelists once, uh, one of our insurance guys, uh, a couple of HVAC people, but mostly so kids will see them and not look at this old dinosaur trying to get us to do something. So that's a, another angle of it, but it's an important angle. But we have, we're going to have a lot of shoes to fill over the next five to 10 to 30 years. And we've got to put money into that training, um, including uh, to the building departments. And, uh, you know, my, I've been hearing a lot of rumbling with new codes coming out this next year. And then the net zero code being part of it, 
that there's a lot of folks nearing retirement age that are on their way out. They, they, they've had enough. It's been a, a tough task. And they, you know, especially in the smaller towns, it is really difficult for some of these smaller towns to handle what they're already enforcing and trying to do with the, with the staff that they have. So mm-hmm. training and future training for officials that can look at this stuff and say, yeah, it's done right. Especially when you get into really nuanced stuff like geothermal. I don't know a ton about it. I'm trying to learn about it. And interesting, Jeff, when you mentioned we've got to figure out where where that sources of education come from. In bidding out a house, I got on a discussion about geothermal with a well driller. Super, And you think about a well driller, that's a tough job. It's a tough job to fill. I don't see a lot of kids lining up to learn that little trade. But Mm. this this gentleman, he's out of the Charlton area um, and uh, was very knowledgeable about geothermal. It's in his house, his parents' house, and several other family members. But, you know, they could offset the cost of drilling and whatever. But my point being is here's a guy that's out in the field working on a well rig with his crews and whatever, and in his business, who is super knowledgeable about that stuff. I don't think we would normally think of that to turn to him and say, hey, we want you to run a course every Thursday night for the next six weeks or whatever. But we've got to look for those guys because I know when I have a question about geothermal, and I already asked him, um, if I could come and see what he's got at his office and at his home, um, because it it is an option for us. It's uh, and I know that um, Eversource is currently planning a project in the Framingham area, uh, and I'm going to talk to them further about it on my my own personal business side. Um, but they're putting a hundred consumers, commercial and residential buildings, on a closed loop geothermal loop. And they're mm-hmm. and, and it's a test program. They're going to go in and replace people's equipment, upgrade it to new stuff that will match with their geothermal loop, and uh, and so that's in the works already. Um, it's not in the ground. It's at the planning stage. Um, and uh, but that could be an interesting way to go. I will tell you that they ha- in the geographical area when they're doing door knocking and approaching some people, there's some reluctance. You know, my furnace works right now. Why do I want to do that? And you know, when you explain that mm-hmm. it's of no cost to you, mm-hmm. that we're going to do everything. We're going to, like my furnace is fine. I got another 10 years to go in it. Why am I going to do that? So mm-hmm. it, it'll be interesting. I hope I can get a little bit more involved with that, um, with Eversource, because um, they are looking for somebody to come in and help them with what do we do inside the building? If you think about a utility company, they're from your meter out. They have no idea what to do when they come in the, inside the house. Um, and so uh, I, I may actually end up being a part of that to just help them catalog what each building needs with obvious experts, you know, in my hip pocket to go do this stuff. Because I, I had a long discussion with their manager about this. And I said, yeah, this is a monumental task you're taking on. And you guys, you guys do from the meter out. You're asking for somebody to figure out the meter in. And that's going to be as complicated, I think. Mm. So I was just going to say, I, I'm glad we we've kind of we have circled around, and it's great. Just the discussion of energy brings up the need for and a, a, a really a Herculean task of training people, getting mm-hmm. people interested mm-hmm. in this, giving them a reason to be interested in this. That's not going to you know really tax their their pocketbook and getting kids involved. And you're right, we spoke of junior high. I mean. 15, 20 years ago, you would have said, well, no, 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 you leave the kids alone in junior high. No, this is where we've got to start, I think. The education should be something where this is presented as a viable course of a career, not mm-hmm. as, you know, something, oh, you know, it, it's 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 manual labor. You know, we don't mm-hmm. we don't want to steer anyone towards that manual. 
<laughs> we need the manual labor. We need well, those who are well-versed in every aspect of construction and every aspect of heating, cooling, what? because ener it, it's, it's energy. We're wasting it. There are, you know, we're not actually okay, recreating the wheel. There are some states that have done this well for a long time. Um, I, I built in Long Island, New York for about five years. Uh, I think uh, I moved there 85 to 90 roughly. And, um, and I, and I had some carpenters who their um, junior and senior year did a, did a dual program. And one that I think it was called BOCES and it was a, it was a, yes. you could pick what trade they happen to be carpenters. And I will tell you, you know, 40 years yes. later, um, they were probably two of the best trained, best equipped, hardest working, quickest moving two men I've ever worked with. And, uh, you know, and, and when it comes to, you know, that's the field I started in. So when it comes to that, I'm really picky in particular, but they had it down pat 40 years ago. So, you know, we're not asking for big stretches. We just, you know, our, our schools got away from that. We got rid of the rooms that housed it and whatever, but it's, it's coming back. And, uh, Milford High was our first with Bragby. We brought them funds. We brought them whatever. And that's the other thing that I want to keep reminding folks of is that the National Association of Home Builders, we have two foundations and we'll put money into this. We have in the past. We'll continue to do so. So, you know, we do scholarships. We actually take um, kids through our chapters out to the national show that's now currently going to be in Vegas for a while. And, and they get to do training. They get to do hands-on stuff. They get to go through million square feet of everything to do with building something um and uh, and and get that level of excitement and uh, we've seen some of those kids go on to other technical schools or technical colleges and stay in and, and be our experts in the future so uh, you know there is money that we're, we'll throw at it too i want to go back to the point that you made about the uh for example eversource and their responsibility for everything from the meter out. And let me push back on that from a consumer standpoint. The assumption that the consumer knows everything from the meter in, uh, I think you're also, your observation is correct. We don't. I mean, as a consumer, it's, you know, I depend upon others to help advise me when it comes to not only the maintenance of my home, but also the standards at which uh, my heating, my electrical, uh, my uh, air conditioning should be at. And the question for government is, is that an open market kind of venture? In other words, let the buyer beware because you're going to have all these wolves who are coming at you, which is what I feel now around electricity from everything from the meter in. I don't feel as though I get enough in terms of uh, either education or resources from Eversource, even though I'm paying them a fee for them to provide me with that electrical, uh, you know, with that electrical sourcing. So the question for us then is, does government again have a role here to ensure that those companies that are providing these services do more than just hook you up and everything inside your house is your responsibility. Don't they have a responsibility to help us in this venture in the long term? My particular uh, point of view is, yes, they do. And that Eversource should be one of the sources, for me, a trusted source uh, in terms of my uh, education. Am I wrong here? Michael, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, and that's I'll tell you what we are looking uh, to do every single day in in the government here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And the metering piece 
is something that's uh, incredibly in intriguing. Um, let me just briefly talk about workforce development. We are plowing millions of dollars into workforce development to get people excited about these new opportunities. And the energy sector is going to take off uh, with uh, these new opportunities that are out there. It's exciting. And it's, uh, you know, it's a lifetime of, uh, of work that will be available in this new industry. But going back to the, the education piece and the metering, um, you know, we have been looking at legislation to uh, impose advanced metering in our homes. So you get a meter that sits outside your, uh, your wall uh, that's really a dumb meter. All it tells you is how much energy was consumed from that house. And I know we've talked about this on previous episodes. What we need to provide the education to the consumer is we got to have a better understanding of what actual devices are consuming what amount of energy within that home. That's valuable information for the consumer and it's valuable information for the utilities and it's valuable information for the government that's trying to coordinate uh, the amount of energy that we need to deliver how we can make sure it's stable, how we can make sure it's equitable, and how we can make sure that when somebody flips a switch in their house, the light goes on. Those are very important considerations. Most consumers don't really care about what's going on. As long as they flip that switch and the light goes on, they're good. But there are consumers out there that want that more information. And we want the more information so that we can uh, hopefully educate consumers as to the appropriate time as to when to turn on particular devices. And we we want to be able to offer financial incentives to consumers for putting those devices on at times when there's less demand on the grid. For example, if you wash dishes in a dishwasher, do you have to do that at three in the afternoon when there's a high demand? Can you let that dishwasher run at one or two in the morning? And I don't need you, Michael, to stay up till one or two in the morning to turn that dishwasher on. There ought to be a method for allowing us to turn that on. Charging vehicles, a lot more, a lot more electric vehicles are going to be out there on the road. And we should, uh, you know, have consumers have the ability to charge those vehicles at one o'clock in the morning instead of one o'clock in the afternoon when there's peak demand. And by having that advanced metering in our homes, we can do those types of things. You could use your, your phone and you could set these things up on an app and time when these things turn on and turn off. And it'll be a much more efficient use of the grid so that uh, we won't have to uh, produce, you know, uh, excess energy when we simply using it more efficiently, we can uh, solve the goals that we're attempting to achieve. Long answer I, to a great question, but that's where we're at. I hate to bring this to you, uh, Jeff, because that was- Are you going to make me cry? A, just such a wonderful, wonderful observation in terms of metering. <laughs> and unfortunately, uh, Jeff, the technology to delay the start of my dishwasher already exists. 
uh, I have a delay start on my dishwasher. Oh, I can I, run I, it at I, three I o'clock in the morning. I can imagine How many people <laughs> actually use it? How many times have you used that? That's a great question. And believe it or not, I, I have a wonderful that just last week, I used that feature uh, <laughs> for the first time. I bet. <laughs> oh, I, I, I hear a pioneering effort here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will tell you. I will tell you uh, again in full transparency. I did Michael's kitchen over several years ago, so I knew he had that right dishwasher. But it yeah, also did you, did to you be educate my, him my on how most to use favorite. It? Other than my kitchen, probably my most favorite kitchen uh, that I've that I've done. It really, I think, came out well. But he's got the state of the art, whatever. If he can figure it out, it's like I'm in that same boat. Yeah, exactly. uh, it's great. So one of the things, Jeff, you mentioned, um, I want to touch on because I made it a, a real uh, important part of our discussions with the commission was weatherization. So you know, you take somebody that's making the decision in their 200 year old house to go with. Um, you know, clean heat option, whether it's a heat pump or a high efficiency gas, uh, if they're still doing that, because you still can meet that code with it. We don't want them to leave the same 40 year old leaky windows in a house with, you know, siding that has no insulation under a wall cavity that has nothing in it. And so we made weatherization a big part of this thing and and a, and an education um, part moving forward. And I will tell you, that there are some really great technologies out there. Um, in my renovation of my own personal house, I used some of them on the old section. I actually uh, fully wrapped the exterior of my entire house with a two-inch foam product um, to give it an extra blanket. And I will tell you, it's great. Well, you know, before I, uh, before I head out, I just want to say that is crucial that we tighten our homes and weatherize our homes. And so mm -hmm. I'm glad that you made that priority on the commission. And and Jeff, I think it's also uh key because even though I may have you know upgraded my kitchen, I think two things you said that were absolutely correct. One, that someone trained me in terms of how to use this cuz I, you know, I can read through the book uh and see all of the various things. Uh for example, my stove, my microwave, and my refrigerator are all tied to uh, my home specs on my phone and I can either change the change the temperature, et cetera. What I don't have though, is I think what you mentioned earlier, Jeff, which is I don't have Eversource or the electrical company telling me, okay, you know, here's really the usage of this. And if you just, you know, uh, tweak this a little bit, you'll be at a little more efficiency and save a few dollars here and there. Um, uh, and that's the part, I think, that most of us as consumers, because there's, one, too much reliance upon the consumer doing everything, reading the manual, understanding the manual, and not enough in terms of what I would call oral tradition. That is having someone come in, take you through and show you through these things. And many of these companies, in order to try to save money, don't do enough in terms of helping to educate the consumer. The next aspect of it is the workforce development piece, uh, which I'm a strong proponent of. And again, there are jobs that haven't even been thought of yet. Uh, I did want to go back and ask Emerson uh, and the rest of you, you know, this whole idea of geothermal. And I understand how the well digger can come up with this, because basically what we're talking about 
It's drilling holes in the ground and then running pipes down underneath the ground. Why? Because if we can do an air transference between the consistent temperature at certain depths underground, bring that air up, trying to heat that air in many instances is easier and cheaper than trying to heat the ambient air that's already inside or, or, or outside of your house. Now, that's just the basic theory of it, okay? And I just happen to know enough to be dangerous, but I'm depending upon the futurists to be able to tell us, oh, yeah, we drill these holes for every single one of our houses. It becomes a great backup uh, or, if not a primary source of energy. And that's the part that, again, most consumers are just not aware of. Uh, you know, simple things like that. And I've been asking solar companies one question and then they hang up on me. Will you put my solar panels on the ground? Mm -hmm. I don't want them on my roof. I want them on the ground. Will you put them on the ground? Ah, don't do that. Bye. Why? Yeah, and that again, that brings us back to the education. We have to educate the consumer. But in order to educate the consumer, we have to have those who can educate the consumer. Those who are well-versed in it, who are trained in it, and those who have been able to come to this position through the cooperation of the state, the federal, the schools, through the schools. Like Emerson mentioned, the old BOCES programs, which, you know, did fall off for whatever reason. Um, they were, you know, victims of cost-cutting. Why in the world they were they were seen as expendable? I have no idea because they generated their own type of income. Oh, they certainly did, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure they're gone. Uh, no, no, I, I know they're they're not gone, but they've been yeah, they but were they've been severely slashed. cut back. Yes, because yeah. the yeah. BOCES in New York was uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, BOCES stands for Board of Cooperative uh, Educational yeah. Services. And it was the vocational part of every single county. So if you didn't have a vocational school, mm -hmm. the BOCES was the place where you sent your students who wanted to get uh, vocational type training. Right. Inside uh, the, 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 you know, regular public high school. That's yeah, right. You worked that's in right. the same building. That's right. And so, you know, look, I and I know we're coming up to time on this. But I, but I love this topic. Emerson, I want you to come back if you don't mind, my friend. Uh, and because we're going to be doing more around not only the education aspect of this, the work-based learning aspect of this, but also I think all of the components that help us move toward the future. Um, and not only do we enjoy your perspective, but also we appreciate your knowledge and your Enjoy experience. it immensely. Yeah. I'd be glad to come back and visit with you all anytime. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you for coming. Well, uh, on that note, another more perfect union hour has flown by, and we will uh, have to say goodbye until next week. Again, if you'd like to weigh in on our discussions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. And if you enjoyed our discussion, please let us know. More importantly, if you disagree, all the more reason to let us know. Now, you can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online at our website, wfpr.fm. And for our guest, Emerson Klaus, uh, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, our representative on Beacon Hill, Jeff Roy, along with Peter J., 
I'm Nick Remesong. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.